2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: All right, fire away, Bob. We
4: got started a little bit late about putting money away from my kids for college. I'm 40 now. My son is 12, and I have a daughter, nine.
1: Well, tell me a little bit about your financial situation. How much do you make, Bob? I make 300. You're making 300? Yeah. All right. Well, the first thing is what kind of school are you gonna send your kid to? You're looking for private school? Yes. And are you planning on four years or graduate school or professional school for either of them? Um,
4: for one, probably uh, four years and graduate school.
1: All right. Your twelve year old is your first one coming up. Right. You've got six years and I
4: got about I have about twelve thousand in uh, stocks for both of them right now.
1: All right. With your income high and the and you're having only six years to reach the first one right uh, I would say you can be aggressive I would go with an aggressive stock fund uh, or I would go with a long-term growth fund but I don't think I would be as conservative as going with uh, with um a balanced fund I don't think you need to because worse if, if if the worst came you're able to fund college out of your out of your income. There's no reason to do so if you plan well mm-hmm. because, Ed, you know, it's just not going it's, it's to have to happen that way. But I would be more aggressive. I would go ahead and run a, an, an analysis, a, a college funding needs analysis. Those are some of the things we do at our office as part of our regular financial plan. We, we go through the following process. We first uh, la- line up the, the cost of the school we want. Then we inflate it from today until the starting date. Then we continue to inflate it through the four years or the six years or the eight years of school. Then we get our total need. Then we back down to how much needs to be put into a funding vehicle today to reach that amount so that the numbers meet. And then we use two assumptions whether we're going to use the, the, the two assumptions on what we need to put it into would be whether we're going into basically equity portfolios or debt portfolios you have to be in something liquid, and I would go ahead and pick the equity funds because over, if not a five-year period, for sure over a 10-year period, they will well exceed uh, the, the, um, the bond funds. I would look for a family of funds, and once we get the number, we can find out how much needs to go in on a regular monthly basis to make sure that you reach that amount.
4: Uh, no-load funds? Or-
1: well, I don't think funds. you need to worry about no-load or load. What you need to worry about is the management style. The load has nothing to do with the manager style.
4: Are you talking about the uh, healthcare funds as well, far as aggressive funds?
1: Well, if you're in a family, if you're in a good family, yes. I mm-hmm. uh, the the key there is to go into a family. Excuse me.
4: <clears throat> I'm having trouble hearing you. That's all. Right.
1: Well, the good thing to do is to go into a family of funds where you can move your money without having commission charges or fees applied to it. If the fund. Decides, or if the fund doesn't perform like you like in one year where you can move it over to another fund. I see. You see what I'm saying?
4: Yeah. So that way you don't have to have um,
1: right. If you lose know, every
4: time you switch.
1: Exactly. Exactly. If you go into, in most cases, your load funds, and I uh, will have lower expense charges every year than your no loads. So you have your one upfront charge, which okay. is usually not too not too expensive. You can usually see them anywhere between five percent all the way down to two percent. But then your annual expenses are far less. Your 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 no load funds usually have higher annual expenses. So if you start moving your money around, you seem to, to to find yourself hurt. I don't like looking at it that way. I prefer looking at it as the manager style, the family of funds. And if we go into a particular fund, knowing that it will not cost me if I go to any other fund in that family, so right. I just pick a, I just pick a family that I like.
4: Sounds like a good idea. That way you can switch out when on that one. And one slows down,
1: exactly, and you can also move from the bond funds to the stock funds to the international funds and so on. Well, very good. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to give us a call at the office during the week, Linda will give you our phone number, sure. and then she can take it from there.
2: Our number at the office is
1: 872-7000. 872-7, Correct. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling, Bob. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Now.
2: Well, Doug, Deborah, on the tax planning side. How do you report a tax-free transfer from a person's IRA to a charity?
3: Linda, that's a great question. And we're actually in the process of helping two clients right now go through this because there is a lot of benefit that can be gleaned from year-end charitable giving from your IRA. Someone even wrote in with a question in regard to this. So if this is your question, here's an example of what you need to do. The question the writer wrote was, I have to take a $20,000 required minimum distribution from my IRA this year. I'd like to give $5,000 tax-free to a charity and withdraw the remaining $15,000 for myself. A rep at my IRA said they would send me a check for $15,000 Payable to me, as well as a fifteen a five thousand dollar check made payable to the charity that I could forward. Then the rep said that at the end of the year, it would report the entire twenty thousand on my form ten ninety nine R as a gross distribution. How can I benefit from the tax free transfer then?
1: Yeah, the, the tax reporting rules for these Qualified Charitable Distributions can be tricky. These are called QCDs, Qualified Charitable Distributions. Regardless of where the distribution is sent, the full amount is reported on IRS Form 1099-R with the name, the address, the Social Security number of the IRA owner using Code 7, normal distribution, as if the distribution had paid, been paid directly to the owner. But you'll claim the tax-free benefits of the QCD when you file your federal income tax return. You report the full 20000 distribution on line 15A of Form 1040 as a gross distribution. And then on line 15B, you write 15000 for the taxable amount and add QCD next to that line, to explain why part of the distribution is tax-free.
3: Now, you'll need to be sure to keep records from the charity in your tax files showing that the tax-free transfer was made to the charity. Make a copy of the check before you forward it to the charity and keep an acknowledgement of the gift from the charity in your tax files. Before you make the donation, keep the, give the charity a heads up about how much money it will be receiving from your IRA and that receipt should be sent to you.
1: Yeah, you need to ask your IRA administrator for its procedure for making these QCDs, these tax-free transfers to charity. The specifics can vary from IRA administrator to IRA administrator. If you work with a tax preparer, then let him or her know about a qualified Charitable Distribution, so you don't end up paying taxes on that amount because the Form 1099-R reporting the distribution doesn't specify that it was a tax-free transfer to charity. And I will tell you that I've recently run a large uh, spreadsheet analysis. Sometimes a QCD doesn't give any benefit at all, but we at Lewis Financial Management have done this thorough analysis of when it does and when it doesn't benefit you, so call us Call us at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Schedule an appointment to meet with us. We will give you a comprehensive uh, appointment covering not only your tax issues, but also all of your investment issues and all of the questions you have On financial planning.
3: Now, Doug, you make a really good point because the reason we're here on Sunday nights is to give everybody who might be listening a chance to think of things that they might not have thought of before. Are you thinking about making a donation this year? Are you wondering if it can be applied to your required minimum distribution? So these topics that we bring to the conversation are merely things that might be prompting you to think about your own reason for calling our office, scheduling an appointment, discussing this and everything else in your financial planning world. Because comprehensive financial planning is is not one issue. What we like to say is that we're multidisciplined experts. That's right. We can, we can discuss all the other things in your life that are affected by money, that are going to be dependent on income, whether you're earning it now or in retirement, planning for children, covering the costs, what you'll leave your heirs when you pass away. These topics are also inextricably intertwined. They can't be pulled apart. And when you're looking for an environment where they can all be discussed,
1: that's us that's what we do. that is I think I think grammatically it'd be that is we that is we that is we <laughs> Thank you sir <laughs> <laughs> but that is that is we that is who we are that's exactly right, Deborah. Uh, we pride ourselves on being able to answer any financial question in your financial world, whether it be your tax question, your investment question, your estate question, college education, retirement. And how all of your investments should be structured, and then we will help you simplify your life. And,
2: you know, uh, sound financial planning advice from experts is worth every penny that you pay for it. And so much so that one of our clients um, was so pleased with this, the services that he had received that he gave it to some um uh, Dear friends, you know, they had uh, a son in, uh, who was getting married. So he gave it as, as a wedding gift a to consultation. young couple for a consultation to come and get advisory services from us. So this young couple came in and got their uh, financial planning uh, first meeting and were delighted with the information they got. The only problem is they moved to the West Coast. But the point is...
1: And who paid for that meeting?
2: One the of friend. our clients. <laughs> he paid for this young couple's financial planning It was
3: their wedding
1: session. present, It huh? was a wedding present.
2: Wow. But the good news is that it prompted, you know, uh, well, it, it gave them a foundation in their, you know, because they're in their 20s. And it gave them a solid foundation for the future in their situation for the young couple, the newlyweds. But what happened six months later, this young man's mother and father came in (laughs) for financial planning advice. And you may have questions about your situation that you still have, that you think about every day, every week, every month. So call us at Lewis Financial Management. Set up a face-to-face appointment if you need a second opinion about your situation or you're ready or you're going to retire. Whatever the situation may be, maybe you've inherited money. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. Listen to the experts. We'll schedule a face-to-face appointment with you. That number in Raleigh is 919 8727000 That's 919-USA-7000. Lewis Financial Management. And visit us at dougandlinda.com. Doug, what is new in the area of financial planning?
1: Quite frankly, Linda, it seems like investors are flocking to find financial planners to give them advice.
2: We're noticing that that people are wanting to get some answers. They want to know what they need to do so that they can reach their goals, right?
1: Right, right. And with this search for people to help them uh, comes, how do you find the financial planner?
2: Yes. How does one find a qualified financial planner? Well, you know, there's one drawback. Financial planners aren't tightly regulated in the industry, right?
1: How do you find a good one? Because anybody can put up a sign offering financial planning services.
2: Yes, indeed. And they come from all over the industry, right? Yeah, Anywhere from stockbrokers to insurance people.
1: Yeah, there's there's things to watch out for because of that. There's things like fraud. There's a big confusion that's... That's, that's floating around out there because some planners are called fee-only planners and they charge an hourly fee or charge a percentage of a client's assets each year. These planners tend to go ahead and recommend no-load funds.
2: And other planners make their money from commissions on load funds and other products that they sell. But still others take both fees and commissions, right?
1: That's exactly right, Lynn. Now, the regulators from state to state tend to be very wary of so-called commission-only planners. Matter of fact, it's very difficult for a consumer to know if he's dealing with a planner or a salesman when he's working on a straight commission basis.
2: And and people do need to be wary of that because there are individuals that are getting the designation of Certified Financial Planner in the guise of selling something. Right, Doug?
1: Right. But the real question or the real bottom line, Linda, is how do you interview? What questions do you ask people when you're looking for a true financial planner?
2: Ask that person What professional designations does he or she have, right, Doug?
1: Right. There are three main professional designations for planners used today. And the first is CFP, right, Doug? Right. Is your advisor a certified financial planner? And then there's a designation called a CHFC, which is a Chartered Financial Consultant, which is basically a life insurance financial planning designation. And these are insurance agents who have taken courses in financial planning and then there was the PFS, which are the personal financial specialists from the American Institute of CPAs. And how long
2: have you been a financial planner? Did it just, did you just get your designation last year or 10 years ago? And you can also ask if they can give you the names and telephone numbers of three of your clients so that you can call for references. Also ask the planner, do you get paid by an hourly fee or some other flat fee? Uh, through commissions or a combination.
1: Right, Doug? Right. You shouldn't be afraid to ask these questions, Linda. And then you should be able to go ahead and and uh, probe a little further. It's all fair. For example, there are a lot of people who charge a flat fee for the initial consultation, but then don't do any ongoing financial planning because it's basically a one-stop or one-meeting um, Consultation and then implementing the recommendations from there on your left on your own. Well, if you're looking for ongoing financial planning, you want to make sure that person does ongoing financial planning. You want to know how many clients they are providing those services for. And are they charging a percent of assets, which is money management? That's not financial planning. If are they charging that as the ongoing fee or how are they charging?
2: And you know, Doug, I we we do appreciate all of our listeners. I've, I speak to literally uh, hundreds of people that call in at the office with different kinds of questions. And I often tell them that whoever you use as your advisor, they should be able to answer your questions.
1: Right. Anytime you've got someone who's afraid to answer some questions or wants to hide something, then that's a, a thing to run from. The other thing, Linda, is the 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 ADV. Always make sure you get an ADV.
2: Form ADV that the financial advisor, the registered investment advisor, must submit to the Securities Exchange Commission. And it's a public disclosure of the individual's background, their education, their fees, and their experience. Right, Doug? Right. And if you need any more... Uh, Answers, or if you have any questions about how to find a financial planner, call me at the office. And the number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand. That is USA seven thousand.
1: Ada, let's take Ada's call. Ada, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
2: Hi. uh, Yes,
5: I have a mortgage question. All right. Um, My husband and um, I—we're—I'm thirty, and he's thirty-one, and we're looking for a home. And we were with a realtor today. And she brought up a different option for us. What what we have been looking at is a home that we could put 20% down, avoid a jumbo loan, um, and get a fixed rate. And she brought up the option of stretching and, and seeing what we could qualify for, you know, getting the most, um, getting buying more house in hopes that it would appreciate more, going with an adjustable rate and 10% down
1: she wants you to buy a more expensive home.
5: Well, well, no, she just brought up the option. She said that because you do get greater appreciation with a more expensive home. baloney. <laughs> okay.
1: I mean, besides, what, what what so suppose you do get appreciation. you're not gonna what is that appreciation is meaningless. You don't get that that appreciation doesn't provide any income for you. That's just a shell, a roof over your head. A home is a home is a home. And when you talk about building equity in a home and all of that, that's meaningless in terms of investments, unless you're going to move out of the house. And then what are you going to do? You got to move into another house, right? Right. So no, I would not try and stretch yourself. You're too young anyway. Yeah, uh, you shouldn't be going with. It. I mean, it gives the real estate broker a bigger commission if you get a bigger house.
5: Well, this is someone I really trust.
1: Okay, as, as well then, broker I, broker. then I then I, I, w- I withdraw that that insinuation <laughs> or that innuendo.
5: <laughs> I, I have worked some in the past that I would maybe consider that, that right. I would
1: think that, Uh-oh. but no, uh, I wouldn't. Um, you're thirty. You're in your thirties, and how much is your income?
5: I'm thirty, and I have recently got out of school. And my husband's income is. Um, it's 82,000 base p- plus a good bonus so it would be if this year it's going to be probably right at six figures. So it's gonna be right under.
1: All right so you've got a base of 82 and you'll probably have about a hundred thousand for the year. All right
5: right, right. Uh, but, but, okay but, and
1: what kind of ha- what size what, what what price house are you looking at?
5: Well what we're looking at I wanted to we were looking at like the, right around 250 is what we wanted to spend and then we could we could um, escape a jumbo loan.
1: Yeah, I think you're buying too much house.
5: You think that is too much? Do you much? guys even have any kids? Uh, we're going to start in about a year.
1: <laughs> no way. I wouldn't I would. I wouldn't have anybody in their 30s buying a $250,000 home with only $82,000 income. You're putting yourself out on a limb where you're going to have some trouble.
2: See, the problem, mm-hmm. Ada, is when you get in that house, you're going to have to fill it. And you don't want to overextend yourself well, with we, yeah, and a also- large mortgage payment. Because then you want to be able to fill it and still still take vacations and gift to each other, etc. I I think you, I think you're,
1: I think you're pushing yourself. I'd go back to how much you're investing in your investment portfolio for your future children for your retirement. But I think you're, I think you're moving too fast, too soon. (laughs)
5: Okay. (laughs) Okay, so uh, I know. Okay, because I was getting scared. Anything? I mean, two fifty sounds like a lot to me. Yep. So I thought anything over that was... <laughs> nope. Really
1: nope, 250 sounds like a lot to me. You know. We
2: didn't mean to burst your bubble here. <laughs> right, okay, so
5: now you guys are pulling me down the other end, so you
1: think... I'd, I, yeah, I'd knock about 100000 off of the house maybe and then come bring your loans down. And I'd be looking at a far a far less expensive home with a lower mortgage payment. just the two of you, you know.
5: But but we will have children, and we do expect to be settled here finally. We've uh-huh. moved around quite a bit, and we think we will be here.
1: Well, if so, then you've got good reason to think that you can start with a smaller house, and the appreciation you're talking about that's going to happen will move into the next house. But if he's making $82,000, uh, then get a few years under your belt before you jump up that high. Okay. Okay.
2: And you know what, Ada? Yes, what? You you want to look at the big picture. This is just one segment of your financial picture, right? Mm-hmm. And if you'll call the office, I can send you some information. Mhm. That our, our number in Raleigh is 8727000 and maybe we can, you know, go over this a little bit more. Okay. All righty? Super. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Well, Doug, what's new in the area of retirement planning?
1: I think a lot of people are wondering when they should start saving for retirement.
2: Right. And, you know, people also wonder what about investment risk?
1: In light of retirement planning. Exactly. I see what you're saying. Well, the longer you have to retire, Linda, generally, the longer between now and retirement, generally, the more risk you can afford to take to achieve a higher return. Now, that means a greater investment in things like stock mutual funds, which traditionally have outperformed over time more conservative investments like CDs. Many certified financial planners strongly recommend that even when you retire, you keep a portion of your money in stock mutual funds or other growth investments to offset the ravages of long-term inflation. Because don't forget, you may be retired for 25 years or more.
2: And you can also offset some of this risk by diversifying your investments among several asset categories. And if you work with a certified financial planner, that individual can help you put together an investment portfolio that will fit your goals and your risk level as well. Well, Doug, there are some listeners that have called, that I have spoken with that wonder uh, in pre-retirement planning, what if I don't have enough time to save for retirement?
1: Many people don't plan ahead for retirement, but even if you do find yourself in that situation and you don't have enough time and retirement is right on top of you, there are steps you can take with the help of your financial planner. For example, you're required to begin withdrawing funds from your tax-deferred accounts, like IRAs, at a certain age. But you do have withdrawal options, and your certified financial planner can calculate the best option for withdrawing these funds in order to stretch your retirement dollars.
2: And what if, what if an individual just doesn't have enough time to save for retirement? What else do we need to look at?
1: Well, you can find some new sources of income, for example, the RAM. You know, the reverse annuity mortgage, Lynn, is one that you and I like very much. Uh, We call them hiccups, Uh, the home equity loans and the RAMs, they're called reverse annuity mortgages on your home. You can sell a vacation home, get rid of it, or other assets that you may have to uh, liquidate and turn into liquid. And I guess bottom line is you may have to look at reducing your living expenses or even working part-time.
2: Other listeners want to know, when I retire, should I take my pension money in a lump sum or
1: roll it over into an IRA? Assuming the pension offers the choice, the decision is going to depend on people's personal circumstances and their discipline and their comfort level and their risk tolerance. And special consideration has to be given to tax consequences. You know, do you pay the taxes now or do you pay them later?
2: And, for example, you may want to take the money out as a lump sum and then pay the taxes uh, on it now if you want to use the money to start your own business, and we've heard many that have done that.
1: Yeah, I don't like them doing that. I get really scared when they take their retirement uh, and use it to start a business, but it's a consideration. On the other hand, if you don't need the money immediately, rolling it over into an IRA rollover account will postpone the taxes until you're 70 and a half years old, and at that time you have to begin withdrawing what's called the minimum distribution amount.
2: And the advantage of doing that is that the longer that you allow the funds to grow tax-deferred, the faster they will grow, and then the more you'll have for your later retirement years. Our number here in Raleigh, uh, if you'd like to give a call, is uh, 872-7000. That's USA 7000.
1: What's new in the world of investment planning?
2: Well, Doug, let me ask you a few questions Or let us have a little discussion, actually, as to how many types of mutual funds there are that we can think of.
1: Not so long ago, mutual funds were very, very broad-based investments. In today's market, however, mutual funds have become increasingly specialized, some investing exclusively in very narrow sectors of the market, others very broad. With all that variety to choose from, there's bound to be a fund that meets everybody's requirements. But let's look at the ones that we can think of first right off the bat.
2: Well, the first one that I can think of is the aggressive growth funds. These aggressive growth funds trade security for maximum capital gains. And they typically invest in the common stock of new emerging companies and industries and in out-of-favor companies and industries. So the aggressive growth funds distribute little or no income, and they have a high potential, very high potential for appreciation. And actually, Doug, these funds are normally quite risky, aren't they?
1: They really are. And right behind the aggressive growth funds are the growth funds. Now, growth funds typically invest in the common stock of more mature companies and industries with an objective of high capital gains. They usually have a high potential for appreciation and very low current income. Growth funds usually have relatively high risk but are less risky than aggressive growth funds.
2: If we're going down the risk ladder, the next would be growth and income funds. Growth and income funds attempt to achieve both a moderate price rise and moderate income as well, and they typically invest in companies with solid records and consistent dividend payments. They have moderate potential for both income and capital gains, and they have moderate risk.
1: Then we have the fixed income investments, and there are fixed income funds and equity income funds. Both the fixed income and the equity income funds invest in high-yielding stocks and bonds with high current income as their main objective. Moderately risky investments, fixed income, and equity income funds normally have very low potential for capital gains.
2: The next is the option income funds. Option income funds invest in dividend-paying common stock on which call options are traded, and their main objective is high current income, and they have a moderate potential for capital gains. And option income funds employ conservative option strategies to help increase the current yield, and they are moderately
1: risky. There are also, Linda, balanced funds. Balanced funds are neither stock funds nor bond funds nor option funds. They're a mixture of bonds and common stocks, and their primary objective are current income, long-term growth, and safety. Balanced funds have low potential for capital gains and moderate to high potential for current income, and they're normally quite low-risk instruments.
2: Another type of fund popular these days are municipal bond funds, and in some cases, the income from a municipal bond fund is completely free of both federal and state income taxes. They achieve this by investing exclusively in municipal bonds from within a single state. North Carolina has some uni bonds, right? Yes, they do. And municipal bond funds couple moderate to high current income with moderate safety. They normally offer only slight potential for capital gains.
1: And, of course, we have the sector funds, the European stock funds, and all of the different specialty funds, the junk bond funds, the government bond funds, the international bond funds, and so on. But the world of mutual funds is a wonderful place for the investor to begin.
2: If you'd like some further information, I'll be happy to send you some. If you'll call the office at eight seven two seven thousand, and then we can give you some more detailed assistance. Well, Doug, what's new in the world of estate planning?
1: Well, in the area of estate planning, Linda, I don't know if you noticed very much, but in the local paper, I saw the probate section, and I made a quick copy of it. And, and listen to this sort of thing: you know, so and so and so and so just died. Their estate was valued at. Two point blank, blank, blank million dollars. Beneficiaries are so-and-so, the wife, so-and-so, the children. Uh, Insurance was valued at $1.2 million, payable to the estate. Insurance valued at 60, et cetera, et cetera, is payable to the beneficiaries. What about that?
2: Yeah, that is really kind of frightening, isn't it? There's another one that I think I saw. So-and-so died in Wake County, Uh, estate valued at blank, 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 and insurance valued at several hundred thousand dollars payable to the estate.
1: Yeah, what do you think when you read all those?
2: Well, it did concern me because essentially what's happening is that, that all of this is filed. These are estates that are filed in the Wake Superior Court, the clerk's office. Basically, this is exposing to the public.
1: Is Was that your first? I mean, my reaction was, golly, this must be tough. You know, in the moment of grief to see, or afterwards, after someone's passed away, to have the widow or have the children have everything just exposed right before the public. Well, Doug, is there a solution to this? Yeah, there is a solution. And in the area of estate planning, Linda, there is a vehicle called the revocable living trust. Maybe you could define that. Well, a revocable living trust is a trust that's established while a person is alive. Every one of those people who had set up a revocable living trust before they had passed away At death, nothing would have shown up in this probate section, because what you do is you set up this revocable living trust, and then you transfer your assets into this trust.
2: Exactly how is the trust set up?
1: You just have one created. You write up a document called a revocable living trust with a certified financial planner and an attorney, and this trust document now is an entity, and then you change the ownership of everything you own from what your personal ownership name is to this trust. And you are the trustee of this trust. So you're not doing anything, really. You also reserve the right to revoke it, to change it. So tax-wise, you're doing nothing.
2: Okay, that's that was going to be my next question. Is there any uh, assistance tax-wise?
1: None at all. It's
2: just as far as the ownership is concerned, right? Right.
1: But you might ask, well, this is silly. Why are we doing this? The difference is that when a person dies, their probate estate is everything that's not in the name of that trust. So if you've put everything in the name of that trust, then your probate estate is nothing. So nothing shows up in the newspaper. So for confidentiality purposes, the revocable living trust is the vehicle.
2: So if people just have a will, then they should ask their attorney or get some assistance as to whether this should be set up for them, right?
1: Well, the revocable living trust doesn't replace the will, but basically its purpose is to avoid the issue of Any exposure at the time of death, that's one benefit. Another benefit is the matter of what if you become incapacitated? You know, when you get elderly, you're concerned about who's going to handle my affairs for me. And so you name not only yourself as the trustee, but then you identify your spouse or one of your children as the successor trustee. So you don't have to go through powers of attorney and proving to a bank or a mutual fund company that there is a power of attorney.
2: Someone to help handle your affairs correct mm-hmm. okay great if you'd like some further information I'll be happy to send you some if you'll call the office at eight seven two seven thousand and then we can give you some more detailed assistance
1: Dan this is Doug Lewis certified financial planner how can I help you
4: Hi Doug and Linda uh, my wife and I have owned a house for about a year and a half mm-hmm. and we continue to make uh, payments towards the uh, principal each month two hundred dollars uh-huh and I'm just wondering, um, based on our ages, I'm 32 and my wife is 35, whether it's actually a good idea to be paying towards that principal to increase our equity in the home or whether with that additional uh, money we should be considering other investments. Um,
1: All right. Picture two bathtubs, okay. okay? And let's pour water in one bathtub and let's take water out of another bathtub. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you can picture it this way, prepaying your mortgage, is letting the water go out of a bathtub to remove the debt. Right. Okay? All right. And when all the water is gone, then you own a bathtub with no debt or you own a house with no debt. Mm -hmm. And that value of that house or that bathtub is called equity. And everybody talks about that you are gaining equity as you are prepaying your mortgage. Now, there are a couple of fallacies in that logic, but just hold that one thought in your head for the moment. You with me? Sure. All right. now go to the other side and now let's go ahead and start pouring water into the second bathtub. Mm-hmm. If I have as I do in most bathtubs two spigots, can I adjust the flow of water coming into that bathtub?
4: Probably can't adjust them.
1: Sure I can I can turn on one spigot and it goes so much I can turn on another spigot, it goes and so forth and so on right. all right In other words, I have a I have I have flexibility on the money on the on the flow coming in. That second bathtub is like investing your monthly prepayment that you were sending to prepay the mortgage into an investment plan. And if we say, well, if I know exactly how fast the water is running out of the first bathtub, that is the rate of return on the so-called equity or on my money that I'm making. And you you can actually compute how much that is. If you're paying 7% mortgage and you're prepaying it, then you're making 7% a year. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All right. On the other hand, when you're putting money into a mutual fund, an investment plan, almost always, I'll guarantee you, any analysis I've ever run, the buildup in the in the investments will far, far exceed the amount of equity reduction on the other. Okay. And, you know, there are some people <clears throat> who it might uh, fit uh, their living situation, let's say that if they don't have a financial cushion mm-hmm. or they're right near retirement and they haven't saved as much as they'd hoped to and before retirement, they want to add to their liquid savings. Uh, uh, there's some cases like that, um, but I-, I don't think in your case, I don't think it makes sense at all.
4: Okay, so the the final question then becomes, uh, with that 200 extra a month, I'd like to put it into another mutual fund. Um, would you be able to offer suggestions on where to? Do- you're putting this additional money.
1: Okay. Yeah, but my advice is that you need to you need to you need to meet with a certified financial planner to develop an asset allocation model, and go according to a fixed model. You should not be going ahead and just trying to pick a fund. Okay, that's that's not the way to approach it. I uh, the the that just over the long term. It's, as, it's, it's similar, just picking funds is similar to just throwing darts at, the, uh, at a dartboard playing the stock market. Mm-hmm. The way to do it is to go ahead and use a model, find out where you want to get to, find out how much we need to achieve to achieve financial independence within your time frames, back down and find out how much should be invested according to a monthly basis to reach that and then stick with that discipline. Yeah,
2: and I commend you because, you know, you're young and, you know, you have probably stable income and you're accumulating, but is it in the right place? And as Doug said, you want to, when you go to invest, you want it to be in line with what your goals and your objectives and your needs are so that you're planning not only for the current need, but future need as well.
4: Uh, I appreciate it. And I think, we have to go back and do some homework on getting a, asset alloc- a better asset
2: allocation model. And, you know, if you'd like more information, um, you can call me at the office. Okay. That number to call in Raleigh is okay, eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA 7000. And thanks for calling. Thank you. Well, Doug, here's a question that Stan had about stocks. What are the advantages and disadvantages of investing in preferred stock?
1: Well, Lynn, as the name implies, preferred stockholders often receive better treatment than common stockholders. Preferred stock usually pays a higher dividend than common stock pays. However, preferred stock pays a fixed dividend. Dividends on common stock can float. The company also pays its dividend to preferred stockholders before it pays common stockholders. And most importantly, preferred stockholders stand a better chance of getting some cash if the company fails or goes bankrupt and liquidates its proceeds to creditors and investors.
2: And here's another question that has to do with IRAs. How often can one change the IRA custodian?
1: Well, Lynn, it depends on how you do it. Once a year, you can call your current IRA custodian and ask for a check and then send that cash on to another IRA custodian within 60 days. There's no limit on how often that you can have one custodian transfer your account directly to another IRA custodian. The trustee-to-trustee transfers can be without limit.
2: So that means don't let them give you the check, right? Let it pass from custodian to custodian.
1: Right, and that's typically the way you should do it. Send, do a trustee-to-trustee transfer. You can do as many of those in a year. The IRS does not limit those types of transfers. If you're retiring or have been terminated and you've got a pension, a 401K, or some sort of large retirement plan at your company, you also can have that money sent to you. If you do, the employer must take out 20% and send that to the IRS. So basically, that's about a fifth of the money. Then in addition to that, you've got to pay a 10% penalty on that money, on the entire amount. So to avoid that penalty, you should make sure that you only do a trustee-to-trustee transfer. If you tell your employer that you're going to be setting up an IRA rollover and you want that 100000 or 75000 that you've accumulated through the years in your 401k plan, have that sent directly over to your new trustee, then there is no withholdings requirement and there is no 10% penalty, the same as on the IRAs.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com.
2: That's DougAndLinda.com. So Doug, that money that's withheld, let's say someone did you know, have uh, the check given to them, and Uncle Sam's going to take out the 20%, correct? All right. When do you get that 20% back?
1: Let's work the numbers and see. Let's say $100,000. alright right. Let's say a guy's got $100,000 in his 401k plan. Okay. And he retires and he says, send me the money and I'm going to do with it what I want and I'll probably open up an IRA. All right. His employer is going to hold out $20,000. He's going to get 80. Now, if he decides he wants to set up an IRA then all he's got to send is $80,000. If he sends that $80,000 over, Uncle Sam is going to say that he was supposed to send over a hundred. So he's going to be shy $20,000, and they're going to tax him on that $20,000, and they're also going to charge him a 10% penalty on that $20,000. That's another $2,000. But he can file for a refund for the 20000 that was withheld but he's not going to get the whole 20,000 back because he's going to pay about maybe 6,000 of taxes on the 20,000 and another 2,000 so maybe 8,000 of it's going to be kept from him and he won't get the 20,000 back you'll only get about 12 back because he did it that way
2: so he can eventually get it back just after, after taxes. taxes
1: have been taken out of it
2: okay so do the trustee to do trustee the, transfer
1: <laughs> yeah don't take possession of it
2: well jim had a question he's 25 and he was thinking of a whole life insurance policy As an investment plan. Do you think this is a good idea, Doug?
1: No. No, 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 no. And why not? Life insurance is designed to protect your loved ones in case you die. Whole life policies give you protection, but you also build up the cash value of your policy as you pay the premium. The returns, though, probably won't be spectacular because commissions and fees that you're likely to pay and because much of your money pays for coverage, not investments. However, your earnings will accumulate tax-free until you withdraw them. But in my opinion, Lynn, if you're looking for a monthly investment plan, you're much better off looking into a mutual fund family. Don't try and make a chicken into a duck. Insurance is not an investment. Insurance is insurance is insurance.
2: Okay. And what are zero-coupon bonds, Doug?
1: Well, these are bonds, Lynn, that pay no interest until they mature. You buy these bonds at a deep discount from their face value. The biggest advantage of zeros is that they reinvest your interest at the same rate for as long as 30 years. But the one big disadvantage is you've got to pay taxes on that interest just as though you received it each year. So you're better off putting zeros into a tax-deferred account like an IRA. That way, you're not paying taxes on the accumulation as it builds up. Also, if you sell that zero-coupon bond before the bond matures, you could get a whopping shock because zero-coupon bonds tend to fluctuate wildly.
2: And if you'd like more information, you can call me at the office, and the number there seven two seven thousand, and I'll be happy to send you some information. Well, what's new in the world of cash flow planning? Well, Linda, Doug, whether it's early in life, during
3: your career, or after the death of a spouse, you really need cash flow planning.
1: Yeah, actually, over my career, I've met with women who have lost their husbands and Because they were never really involved in the family finances, after her husband has passed away, she was overwhelmed. Now, I will say this as an aside, women tend to deal with spousal loss much better than men. But unfortunately, I've had my share of meetings with both widows and widowers who have not managed to take control of their financial situation. And I guess we could touch on some money pitfalls to avoid... If indeed you have lost your spouse,
3: I'd say for a first one would be not long after the mourning period and before the insurance check arrives, their surviving spouse becomes very popular among relatives with business ideas.
1: Yes, indeed.
3: You know, the widow is hit up for money for the quote unquote next hottest business.
1: That is so sad, but it's actually true, Deborah. And then there are the financial bad apples. The people themselves that actually prey on those who are recently widowed. There's a natural inclination among surviving spouses to invest in something called a secure investment offering a regular income that never runs out. There are all kinds of products being pitched to supposedly help accomplish this goal. And sadly, these products tend to enrich the salesperson rather than you, the investor. I think it was Ken Fisher, the CEO of Fisher Investments. He said... That buying an annuity, instead, you might just as well give the salesperson the money to put his kids through private school.
3: Yeah,
1: uh, there. It's just a sad thing that there are those who prey upon the widows with this aspect of a secure income.
2: Is is that because of the commission that the person gets? There's the that and
1: and 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 the annuity sometimes is the worst investment. There are other ways to get secure uh, to get a secure income stream rather than giving up your principal, giving up your investment
3: right That's frequently, it's just the it's just the wrong investment. upon receipt of a large sum of money from an insurance policy, do nothing with the money for three to four months.
1: I believe we should always follow that principle advising our clients.
2: just stick it in the bank, right. Don't make any rash or impulsive purchases or even purchase investments until you, whether you're a widow or a widower, until you feel like you're in control and you're making rational decisions. That's
3: right. We've seen many instances where a surviving spouse receives a large death benefit and then squanders it immediately, you know, by buying all these things that were, quote unquote, needed to be bought. Or they may even just give overly large gifts to the children to try and help them out. Nothing against helping children, but make sure you have enough for yourself first.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, Deborah.
3: This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. Call me at 919-872-7000.
1: Before making any investment or gifting decisions, it's important to figure out how much money is needed on a monthly basis. Wait a few months to try to determine how much money that you need to live on. And the reason to wait a while is that you may have all kinds of immediate expenses that are going to skew your budget and give you an inflated figure of what you need. And then after things calm down, then you can start to track those expenses. Of course, in our office, that's exactly what we do with our widows and our widowers. We start tracking those expenses, break down the expenses, break them down to those which are monthly and those which are annual one timers. And once you've got all that organized, then write down all of your various sources of income, your salary, your social security, any pension or rental income, and this means that once you know how much money enters into your bank account each month you can create a budget that limits your spending of what goes out of the bank account to the amount that comes in
3: that's right after defining cash flow needs investment allocation decisions can be made if income is less than expenses the money can be invested to generate income to cover to cover to supplement the monthly shortfall Conversely, if expenses are lower than current income, more growth can be
2: allocated to the portfolio. You know, the death of a spouse is emotionally devastating, but you need to continue living your life. So by avoiding certain traps and implementing these tips, you can start taking control of your financial situation, which to some degree will help enable the healing to begin. It's really true, isn't it, Doug? Isn't it, Deborah? It really is. You just got
3: to slow it down, take an assessment, take a couple months to know what those monthly living expenses are. Where's the reoccurring monthly income coming from? What are the reoccurring monthly expenses going out? Matching that up, then you'll know what you need.
1: And we are the Lewis family. We're here to help you in any situation that you have. Remember, you can also go to our website, Doug and Linda.com. that's Doug and Linda.com. in addition we'd like to remind all of our listeners that those who call the office for appointments this coming week will receive a free book we will either give you a book called the wealthy barber or one called simple wealth inevitable wealth or one called middle class millionaire we have been enjoying giving these books to clients who came in in recent weeks and we always want to remind our listeners that your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
2: Well, Doug, what's new in the world of investment planning?
1: Investment planning, Linda, well, you know, I think there are certain fundamentals that we need to remember in financial planning with regard to investments that people uh, sometimes have to come back to those basic fundamentals. And I would say don't forget to remember the fundamentals because while we realize intellectually that we must assume greater risk In order to achieve higher returns, emotionally, it's often difficult to continue investing in a stock market whose future direction is unclear.
2: Yes, I agree. And understanding basic concepts and the impact that they can have on risk reduction can make these decisions less emotionally trying,
1: right? That's right, Lynn. So the first fundamental is invest for the long term. In other words, make sure you're comfortable with the role of the investments in your portfolio and are prepared to invest for at least five years.
2: So you're saying the first fundamental is invest for the long term.
1: First thing, that's right, Linda. Invest for the long term. Don't try and be a market timer. Fear of investing right before a bear market, for example, often prevents people from investing at all. But that shouldn't be the issue. Invest for the long term. That's the first fundamental to always come back to. Now the second fundamental is diversify by placing your money in more than one investment category, such as bond funds, stock funds, real estate, et cetera. But diversify, diversify, diversify. Stay in more than one investment category.
2: So the second fundamental is diversify. Right. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Make exactly. sure you diversify.
1: Exactly. And fundamental number... Number three, Linda, I would say is use dollar cost averaging to gradually invest in the stock market. Dollar cost averaging involves investing a certain sum of money in set amounts at regular intervals, and this spreads your purchases over a period of time protecting you from making a major purchase when prices are high, and since you're investing a set amount of money, you'll always purchase more shares when prices are lower and fewer shares when prices are higher. Now, that's what we call a pay-yourself-first plan, Linda, where you set it up automatically.
2: Okay, so fundamental number three is use
1: dollar-cost averaging. Right. Those are the three fundamentals. I think we need to always remember to come back to those three fundamentals, and that will keep us from being emotionally uh, driven.
2: Yes, and, you know, I agree. This strategy requires the discipline to invest consistently regardless of the market prices and is a good way to get in the habit of regularly setting aside money for investments
1: seek competent financial advice and if you have any financial questions call me at 8727000 that's 8727000 Deborah this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters how can I help you
5: If we're contemplating selling a family run business will this be ordinary income or is there any way to roll it over and have it like an IRA rollover since basically it is my husband's retirement fund. He's in his early 50s.
1: Your husband's selling a business. Right and you want to avoid the capital gain issue or the ordinary income issue
5: ordinary income and capital
1: ga- well it's going to be capital gain what's the basis of the business how much money did you put into it when you got started 40 40,000 and what are you selling it for probably 450 selling it from 40,000 to 450 yeah i do know a way to do that by the way okay uh it's rather complicated and it's and it's very creative if i do say so myself <laughs> uh but i'm doing one of those right now you have to do what we call a wealth preservation trust and a wealth replacement trust strategy. It's a double trust strategy. Wait a second. Let me ask you one question. Uh-huh. Have you already started the sale process? No. The buyer and you haven't got anything nailed down in concrete on paper yet? Why? Very good. Because the IRS will not allow this strategy if there is a negotiation on paper that's been uh, fixed. Right. But uh, I do know a way where you can go ahead and you actually uh, gift it over to one trust in such a way that that trust then is able to sell it tax-free, reinvest that money in that trust to give you a lifetime income and set up a second. And and that part of it is just like an IRA. Right. But but the only thing we're missing now is what about the principal? The principal is replaced by the second trust, which is funded by life insurance. Part of the premium, no, the premium is paid with part of the cash flow from the first trust. The rest of it comes to you for life. So the principal goes to your kids at your death The income goes to you for the rest of your life and the business is sold tax free and the only, uh, the only ones that lose in this deal are the IRS actually.
5: So, and your office number is eight seven two seven thousand.
1: That's right. If you call Linda and tell her you're interested in talking about the double trust strategy. I, my
5: husband will be giving you a call. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: thank right. You. You're right, because with a $450,000 sale and a 40 you are facing about, well, about 180000 in taxes. I know. Uh, yeah, I can show you how to do that with no taxes at all, and it's all perfectly legal. <laughs> oh, good.
5: Thanks.
1: <laughs> okay. Thank you for calling. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Well, that's all the Money Matters we have time for today. We want to thank all of our listeners for joining us. For any other questions you may have, call my office during the week, and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters
0: because your financial future is at stake.